This is Thoughts on the Table by DisgracesOnTheMenu.com. Hello and welcome to Thoughts on the Table, the audio blog on food and food culture. My guest today is food blogger and Canola Award winner, Pina Bresciani from Vancouver, Canada. Hi, Pina. Hi, Paolo. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being my guest. That's awesome to have you. And uh, yeah, I have to say, as usual, uh, how I got to know about Pina. Unfortunately, I got to know about Pina after I left Vancouver. And uh, that's too bad that we didn't cross paths when I was there. But as soon as I found out, of course, I had to have her as my guest. So, um, Pina, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you, Paolo. I'm happy to be here. That's fantastic. So it looks like we have uh, quite a bit in common. So we obviously are very close to Vancouver. You you were born there or you moved there when you were young. Can you remind me a little bit about your story? Sure, sure. So like you mentioned, yes, I was um, born in Vancouver, British Columbia mm-hmm. in Canada. Um, but both of my parents were born and raised in Italy. Yeah. So yeah. my mom is from Sperlonga Latina in Lazio, mm-hmm. and my dad was from Pofi Frosinone, which is also in the region of Lazio in yes. Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rome. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, growing up for me here in Vancouver was a very interesting experience. So my mom, being a new Italian immigrant to Canada, Mm -hmm. she wanted me to speak Italian um, as I was growing up. So actually, the first language I learned, even though I was living in Vancouver, was not English. Um, It was Italian. Awesome. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's very cool. So Looking, you know, looking back when I started school, that's when I started speaking English. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being very um, frustrated yeah. when I started school because I didn't understand any of the kids or the teacher and no one, no one understood me. So I was like, oh, my gosh, wow. why don't I speak English? So really, they, they did not teach you any English before you went to school. No. Oh, fantastic! No. That's yeah. that's that's uh, that's unusual. Normally, you know, I know some people, um, some Italians, who had kids in uh, in Canada, in Vancouver, and mm-hmm. they made a choice as well as your parents did, not to speak, um, you know, English with their kids, so they have a chance to learn Italian, which is great yeah. because it'll be bilingual this way. But um, but then, of course, uh, in preparation for them going to school, they knew some English anyway, and English was really becoming prevalent very quickly. So I guess your yeah. parents instead made the decision not to allow that to happen and to make sure that your Italian was solid, I suppose. That's true. Hmm. Yeah. So, so that's what happened. That's what happened to me. But as I, you know, was in school for a short amount of time and I picked up on English really quickly because, you know, you're a kid and you have the ability to pick up on languages um, quite quickly. So Mm -hmm. after that, I was fine. And then I was bilingual. So I continued speaking English at school and then speaking Italian at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as I mentioned, I was frustrated in the beginning but now looking back I'm very glad mm-hmm. <laughs> that my that my mom did that and yeah. spoke to me in Italian because it definitely doesn't hurt to to be able to speak another language oh I know it's wonderful of course and mm-hmm. uh, it was so hard for me to learn English in school and then when I moved there my first six months were a nightmare um, as an adult of course right um, 
So yeah, I know I'm so super jealous of uh, people like you uh, who can speak two languages naturally. Right. Uh, but you speak English very well. Well, thank you. I worked really hard on it because yeah. it's important to me to try and be understood. And uh, frankly, I still have moments where, where I find that I need to improve. You know, it's, uh, it's always uh, a challenge. And now that I moved to England, I also have to deal with the British accents and especially oh, the northern goodness. one. <laughs> Oh boy! Um, now after six months, I can start to understand some of my coworkers. But initially, <laughs> to be honest, uh, I was having a lot of trouble. So yeah, it's never over. You're always studying English all of your life. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so instead, you know, you're exactly in between Italy and Vancouver, and uh, not only from the point of view of the languages, of course, but also food and culture, right? You were yeah. telling me that uh, you used to go back. Uh, every summer to Italy. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So um, as I mentioned, so my dad was from, you know, Frosinone and most of his family moved here to Vancouver. So my dad's side of the family lives here Mm -hmm. and they actually own like an espresso machine distributor here in Vancouver. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. I wish I knew you before. (laughs) I know. I know. It's it's a shame that we didn't cross paths before. Or you moved over to England. So I definitely grew up to enjoy a very good um, espresso or, mm-hmm. you know, cafe as they call it in Italy, because, yes. you know, that's that's, that's the, the coffee in Italy is, is yep. espresso, not any other type of coffee. But here I feel we have to make the distinction between, mm-hmm. you know, an espresso and a cup of Canadian drip coffee. Yes, of course. But, <laughs> Which is the coffee there. Like if you ask for a coffee, that's what you get, right? Exactly. You get drip. exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, my dad's family lives here, but all of my mom's family lives in Sperlonga. So mm-hmm. my nonni, my grandparents are still there. All my mom's siblings and their kids, my first cousins live there. Mm-hmm. So um, my mom really wanted me to grow up knowing her side of the family too. So mm-hmm. every summer, um, when I was, you know, especially in through elementary school and high school, I would go to Italy and spend two months there with my grandparents. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know. So it's, um, it was a really great experience for me. So there I had no choice, but to speak Italian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no one there back. spoke English. Yep. Um, so I feel that that's where my Italian really improved as well. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I would just spend, Sperlonga is a beautiful seaside town right on the beach, small mm-hmm. town, population's about 3,500 people. Okay. Uh, so I would, mm-hmm. yeah, just spend my days there going to the beach, playing with my cousins, eating gelato, riding our bikes. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I have the really fond memories Um looking back on those summers and you know the food was a big part mm-hmm, of that of course. Well, obviously so I grew up with nonna's cooking we'd sit down every day at 1 p.m for the big Italian lunch mm-hmm. <laughs> she would make the pasta uh, you know the main dish like a meat or a fish mm-hmm. um, we eat lots of fish in Sperlonga since it's um, right by the sea of course um and you know a contorno some side dishes and sometimes she'd uh well she wouldn't make dessert but sometimes there would be you know some a nice dessert there too so mm-hmm. i feel that's where i learned how to really 
appreciate authentic Italian food and learn more about it. <laughs> uh, Pina, how old were you? And what age uh, range? Um, probably from like, well, the first time I went to Italy, I celebrated my second birthday there. Oh, okay. So that was the first very time little. I went. Yeah. I was very little. And then after that, probably from five years old to about 18 years old, I would go every oh, wow. summer. Yeah. And then now I try to go back, um, you know, not for two months, because that's kind of impossible when you have a full time job here. Yeah. But mm -hmm. um, I try to go back once a year now yeah. for about uh, two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. I used to go to Italy yearly as well. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, definitely something I wanted to do. And uh, you were saying that um, you were uh, flying on your own as a kid. Uh, yes. One of those kids that sometimes you see, I used to see them, now I don't see them anymore. Um, yeah. th those kids uh, who are accompanied by a, a flight attendant uh, through That's the gates. Right. Is that right? Yes. So I would, um, it would work in a few ways. Um, sometimes we'd work with a travel agent and the travel agent would find, you know, a family that was traveling oh, to Rome around the same time that I wanted to go. And then mm -hmm. um, we'd meet before and then I'd kind of, travel with that family and then my you know aunts and uncles would pick me up you know at the Fiumicino airport um yes. or mm -hmm. if we couldn't find anyone then yes I would travel as an unaccompanied minor um with the flight oh, attendants and they would look after me mm -hmm. and make sure I got to the Rome airport safely and yeah and oh, wow uh, you must have felt uh, <laughs> nervous but also special to have that kind of treatment how did you uh, feel about that no, I thought it was I thought it was pretty normal. I thought it mm. I thought it was fine. Like I just kind of viewed it as, you know, I'm going to visit my family yeah, and yeah. this is how I'm going to get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. So, but it was kind of cool when I remember they'd like take me on the little little car through the airport mm -hmm. so right. have to walk. So so that was kind of cool as a kid for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yes. So, yeah. yes, you said uh, your heart is really in two places because then, of course, uh, you know, by living in Vancouver, growing up in Vancouver, uh, you also grew fond of all that yes. beauty uh, that it has to offer, uh, yeah. the nature, but also the culture, the very multicultural environment there, which yes. I loved, of course, uh, when I was there. So you were saying, um, how did Vancouver... Um, shape up your culinary side as well. You were saying that you, you feel a West Coast influence in the way you cook. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, Vancouver, like you said, is a very multicultural city. Um, we have, you know, certain influences and certain, um, certain foods that are very prevalent. Mm -hmm. So when I'm cooking, sometimes I cook like, you know, the traditional Italian food that you know, my nonna or my mom would cook, but a lot of times I'm kind of adding my own spin to it to adapt to kind of like a West Coast um, Canadian audience. Mm -hmm. so, I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for example, like, mm. um, you know, a traditional um, Italian dish would be to make, um, you know, gnocchi with potatoes, right. which is, right. which is fine. But you know, here butternut squash mm. is very 
very prevalent. And yes. I don't know if you experienced that when you were in Vancouver, but it's very popular. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, hey, why don't I make like a butternut squash gnocchi? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love it myself. Obviously, yeah. sweet is something that maybe it's more of an acquired taste for uh, Italians. Yes. Um, but I remember butternut squash ravioli. I used to like them a lot, actually. So yes, yes absolutely. You can make gnocchi with that. Mm, exactly that. so that's kind of how the um vancouver <laughs> food scene has impacted my cooking style right um sometimes i try to blend the two cuisines <laughs> and um yeah that's how i that's how i add my own take on it i understand i think the west coast also has some kind of impact on the styling on the food styling um i've noticed something in your dishes which are by the way stunning your food photography is phenomenal oh um, thank you <laughs> <laughs> no it's really really impressive um and i did notice maybe um uh maybe the light that you put into your pictures uh, to me yeah. is very west coast maybe it's my idea of west coast i'm not sure but oh, um, thank you <laughs> yeah i don't know it reminds me of the style that i was used to seeing there um i don't know there's something about being washed by the ocean and the, the sun and the light that comes in from having so much sky around you, which is yeah. something that, you know, Italy instead, uh, usually uh, I can see more color and a busier plate, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, you're very clean instead. Um, yeah, so let's talk about your blog a little bit. So um, I think the essence of the food that you cook is truly um, continental Italian, the way I knew it from, from before, from Italy. Mm -hmm. And then you also have a personal section where you talk about meaningful events in your life. So again, you put yourself out there and you talk about who you are as well. Mm -hmm. um, and you put that as well into every recipe. There's always something about you and why the recipe is important to you. So yes, again, fantastic work with the blog. Uh, when did the blog start? Sure. I think my first official blog post was in October of 2015. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, I, I, you know, I bought a good camera. Mm -hmm. Um, And I work in marketing here um, in Vancouver. Like my my full time job is mm -hmm. not the blog. Okay. Um, so I work in marketing here for a software company. Oh, I see. And when I was in my when I was in my past marketing job, which was also a, at a software company, I was writing a lot of copy. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that I needed a creative outlet to just you know get the words flowing and be more um, uninhibited when it came to writing. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that's why I wanted to, to start this blog. And I read, um, a lot of, a lot of blogs at the time, more like lifestyle blogs, not mm -hmm. necessarily food blogs. Right. So I said to myself, I'm like, okay, I want to start a blog. What's it going to be about? And it didn't take long because, you know, as I mentioned, like I'm quite connected and close to my Italian culture. I'm like, okay, mm. it's going to be about Italian culture. So the original intent was to cover anything in Italian culture mm -hmm. from the music. I love listening to Italian music, whether they're, you know, older artists or the newer, more contemporary mm -hmm. artists. Nice. It was going to be about like Italian customs, like how to order mm -hmm. a right. coffee at an Italian coffee bar in yeah. Italy. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I write about that uh, a lot um, in my articles. Oh, that's amazing. the kind of how to guides, because it's really crazy there. 
you have yeah. no idea what to do when you enter a cafe. I love that. I love that. It's yeah. like, yeah, don't go, don't go sit down at the table. No. Just order, the, <laughs> just order, just order at the bar and and drink it standing up at the bar, right? Like yes. that's that's the way you do it. And then and then you right go. most of the time, but sometimes maybe you can sit down. There are places where you can't sit down, but sometimes it's really inappropriate doing something like that. <laughs> you have to know. Yes. It's really hard. Agreed. <laughs> um, you have to kind of know know what the right way to do it is. And you can kind of read that when you walk in, I feel. You have to read it. Yes, you're right. It's, it's yes. so we're used to reading that and knowing if it's okay to just bring the coffee to the table. Yes. I advise people um, to always ask because uh, sometimes they don't like that because there will be uh, a service charge and a different price. So, That's yeah. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. So you wanted the blog to also be about Italian culture um, mm-hmm. But then it sort of became more about food, isn't it, right? That's true. Yeah. So I wanted, like I said, I wanted to do Italian travel. Um, I even wanted to include like an Italian word of the day or something oh, like yeah. that. That's but, cool. And of course, I wanted to include food too, because that's a huge part of Italian culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I started doing recipes and just discovered this love for food photography. Mm -hmm. and just kind of continued more on the food aspect of things right and kind of left (laughs) left the rest but Mm -hmm. um I will do some um I will do some like Italian travel and and some like music posts once in a while but the main aspect is definitely food so for example like uh, like I mentioned, I was in Italy this past September, mm-hmm. and I spent 24 hours in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to do a blog post on like 24 hours in Rome, where to eat. Like this is where I ate, and these are the places I would recommend. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. things, just things like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Your guide, your travel guide. Exactly. Yeah, and I have, mm-hmm. I have a Sperlonga travel guide too. Um, so, cause you know, I know it very well. So I give my recommendations on what to do, where to go, how mm-hmm, to navigate mm-hmm. your way through, how things kind of work there, you right. know, even how to go to an Italian beach. Like that's something that I feel most mm-hmm. North Americans wouldn't know, you right, know? So, right, yes. Yeah. 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 And, and people really go to the blogs for that type of information. Cause, uh, you know, you can buy a Rick Steves, uh, travel guide, but Mm-hmm. It may not necessarily talk much about Sperlonga or yeah. even even the part of Rome that you've visited. Uh, sometimes yeah. you you know your blogger and you want their advice as to what they enjoy and what they recommend you do. It's very That's meaningful true. to have it from a person you you know a little bit better than just a, a book author, right? That's true. Yeah, that's the the power of the blogs. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I decided to name the blog after myself is exactly what you said is that I feel people want to connect Mm -hmm. to a person and like they trust and they want to know that person and trust that person. And I wouldn't want to name my blog, I don't know, something Mm -hmm. very generic that doesn't have my name in it because I want people to connect to me as a person. Yeah, I applaud that. I wasn't uh, as determined when I started. I didn't even have my name anywhere for the the first little while. Then Mm -hmm. I I put an about page and a photo and I I decided to talk about myself as well. Actually, um, my blog used to be called something else. It used to be called coffeecampadicanoli.com. Oh, I see. (laughs) I found that image in your Twitter account. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I still haven't changed that actually. Mm-hmm. But 
then I was just like, you know what? People can't remember the name. Like they, yeah. they can't type it in easily into the browser <laughs> yes. bar. Um, people are like, what is it? Cannoli, Campari, Cafe, <laughs> what is it? Like, I so I was, and then coupled with this idea that I wanted people more to connect to me at, mm. as a person yeah. and wanted to start including, you know, some more personal content yes. in there. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm just changing it to pinabreshani.com. Very well. And, and that's what I ended up doing. Well, I was laughing because my blog is, you know, Quattro Fromaggio is misspelled uh, Italian. Yes. Who can, in their right state of mind, come up with something so stupid? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> because it's obviously impossible. It was meant to be a joke and something that, yeah. um, you know, non-native Italians uh, in North America would uh, accidentally find by misspelling things as they normally do. <laughs> so this was meant to catch them and then teach them what is the right way to pronounce these words and the way to write them down as well and, and then the right way to, uh, to make, I don't know, a carbonara. Um, but then uh, you obviously had all the problems that you said. People cannot remember it exactly and uh, cannot certainly type it into the bar. And so in the end, it became just these graces on the menu, which is a little bit better, still too long. But so anyway, too late now. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I like it. I like it. And I don't know if you saw, but I tagged you in a... Um, you did? Nice. Thank you. In, a, in an Instagram post because, yep. you know, Italian spelling, like Italian misspelling <sighs> on menus, I feel is very common here. For so like reason. even like a pretty well-known, it wasn't an Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. I will say that it was just more of kind of like one of those West Coast restaurants sure. that I'm sure you've been to while um, <laughs> while you were here in Vancouver, Paolo. Yeah. They they spelled prosciutto. I think it was prosciutto. The prosciutto is, is just as common as prosciutto. I think it's maybe exactly. more common for some so reason. I was, so I was like, oh, I, I have to show Paolo this. I'm <laughs> Thank you. Get I'm yeah. sure he'd get a good laugh out of this. But yeah, that's that's awesome. I like I love what your blog <laughs> aims to promote. So I totally get the misspellings on on menus. I see them quite often, actually. Yes. Please, if you have an Italian restaurant, if you serve Italian food, whether or not you speak Italian as your first language, uh, there's mm -hmm. spell checks <laughs> you can do. Yeah. Or hire Agreed. a kid. Find someone that, uh, that knows Italian, was born there, and ask them to proofread your menu. Please. Agreed. Please do that. Yes. For the second part of this uh, interview, thanks so much. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what is uh, a perfect menu to you, Pina? Uh, if mm -hmm. you were to choose what is your ideal uh, Italian dinner, what dishes would you choose to put in that menu? Sure. So... When I think of my perfect Italian meal, mm -hmm. um, I just think back to Nonna's house. Yeah. So it's not something from a fancy Michelin star Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, it's the home cooking, the simplicity of that, that I really love. Mm -hmm. And I just imagine myself, you know, back in Italy during those summers and, eating nonna's food. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you grew up with this, Paolo, but the big main meal mm -hmm. in Italy, at least still in Sperlonga and small towns like that's probably different in bigger Italian cities where everyone's working the, mm. the continuous hours and don't have that long break for lunch. But yeah. uh, in Sperlonga, it's the big Italian meal is at 1pm for lunch. Oh, I see. Well, 
It would be maybe on a Sunday, but certainly on a yeah. weekday, no, because uh, okay. everybody is, you know, grabbing lunch quickly. I grew up in yeah. a small town as well. So when I was going to school, I was in uh, the town is called San Giorgio Solignano. It's 3,000, no, sorry, 6,000 people um, yeah. in uh, the vicinity of Milan, 30 kilometers from Milan. Um, yeah. But then I think most people would uh, have a, a quicker lunch on weekdays and instead, uh, yeah. you know, maybe have a, a bigger uh, Sunday lunch. Um, yeah, whereas you're saying that um, in Sverlonga, people have a big uh, 1 p.m. meal daily? Every day, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Every day. And <laughs> I think it's because my theory is because of the nature of work that mm. a lot of people do in Sverlonga. A lot of people are farmers. Yeah. So especially when it's hot outside, mm-hmm. you can't work from like 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah. So you eat outside on the farm. <laughs> it would just be too hot. So you eat and you have your siesta. Your nap, yes. Your nap, and then you go back to work around four or five PM and work till like eight or nine. I see. Then you work late, which explains yes. also why you have dinner so late uh, yes. in those regions. Yeah. Because yes. we were talking about it earlier. Uh, I mean from the north and for me dinner time is seven PM in Milan. Yeah. Seven, seven thirty. Very early for us. <laughs> yeah, for you it would be very early. Uh, and then for yeah. Canada is late, you know. <laughs> Canada is yeah. 5.30, <laughs> 6. So. Canada, I, I know some people like that have dinner at 4.30. 4.30. Wow. Yeah. That's even early yeah. for tea. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so now I understand. So yeah, obviously if you work the fields, uh, you want to, you know, use the daylight, uh, which in, in the summer is up until 8, 9 p.m., of course. Yes. And then uh, you have your, your dinner when you're done. Um, so that exactly. becomes really late. Yeah. Right. So that's why you have dinner at 9 or 10 p.m., which is, again, strange for That's me. right. And dinner is always like a smaller ah, a smaller um, a meal. So it could be just like some pane pomodoro, mm. a bruschetta, some mozzarella. Right. Um, you know, some cold cuts, a salad. It's it's a it's, a it's a, usually meal. a smaller meal. Makes total sense. Now I understand. Yes. <laughs> I'm understanding things about me being Italian uh, that I didn't know. Because, of course, when I visited Rome, um, I noticed that dinner time was delayed. It was 8.39 uh, in restaurants. Mm-hmm. It would start to fill up at, at 8.39. But then, of course, in restaurants, you still have a big meal, even though it's late and it's yes. you know the evening, because you're in a restaurant. That, that's what they do. They yeah. try to feed you as much as possible. Um, and, and it didn't make sense to me, because then how can you sleep well? And then how can you be up the next day uh, to go yeah. to work at a reasonable time? But now mm-hmm. it makes total sense. You're having a snack before going to bed. Exactly. That's that's how it works. Thank you. <laughs> that's yeah. uh, finally understood. No I'm not joking. I, I I never really I never really understood this part. So that's cool. Yeah. No. It's it's interesting to see, um, you know, the difference between you know the north and and central mm. Italy and and even the south. So it, yeah. how things are different in terms of food and eating habits yeah. and eating patterns. It's not just all all the same all over the country.
I don't know if you noticed, but I don't know if it's like this in Milan. Well, I should know I lived in Milan for six months, but I didn't really pay attention. Like in my mom's town in Sperlonga and a lot of the the surrounding cities in the area, they're actually closed for three hours or four hours during lunchtime. Mm, okay, like yes. Like a lot of stores. So that's when everyone's taking their big, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, pausa pranzo, their big lunch break. But I know in, in Milan, they probably have like orario continuato yeah. where it's like continuous hours. That's right. Uh, yeah. And a lot of some bigger stores are starting to do that in that area mm. and they actually have to advertise it. Right. Say we have the continuous hours, we're open all day. Mm-hmm. They have to let people know because it's not common. Right. Yes. So, so in my small town growing up, when we still had stores, because unfortunately stores have been closing down in the small oh, towns. No. And that's that's sad, but that's what happens yeah. with the commercial centers and the malls and the, you know, online ordering. So mm-hmm. yeah, so when we had stores, now we have just a few of them, but when we had uh, stores all over the, the city center, yes, they did have the break as well, even though it's not as hot as in the south and um, people Often, you know, they don't work in the fields in that area. But uh, I think it's, it was tradition to have a break, say, from 1 p.m. and then reopen at 3.30 or 4 even until mm-hmm. 7.30. And yes. uh, that was uh, expected chiusura for um, uh, lunch break. But also mm-hmm. um, a time where uh, really... It's just the customary that stores are closed. Uh, so mm-hmm. even if it's you're not having a break, uh, well, if you need to buy something, you'll wait until 4 p.m. You, you don't have to get something necessarily at 2. Then, yes. of course, I think things changed when people um, needed to, to get their business done during their own lunch break. So mm-hmm. stores became more uh, of a service to, to the workers. So, yes, yeah. they started to, to stay open. And the big cities, of course, that's where they get most of their business during those hours. So they try to stay open then. Yeah. 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 It's just about adapting to changing lifestyles, right? right? Mm-hmm. So exactly. that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I want to talk about England a little bit in this context because uh, here uh, stores close really early. And oh, that's, wow. uh, um, that's really strange for us used to Vancouver where you can generally shop until, I don't know, in many malls you go in until 9 p.m. Yeah. weekdays. They're usually open till about 9. About yeah. 9. Now over mm-hmm. Christmas they probably open uh, even later. <laughs> uh, yes. yes, yes. But um, but here, no, it's uh, like on a Sunday, it's 4.30 where the supermarket closes. Um, That's so early. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> and then uh, even, uh, you know, weekdays, a lot of the stores close at six, so if wow. you if you need something after work, you're out of luck. You really need to think about it ahead of time. Oh my I couldn't imagine because <laughs> <laughs> that's I do most of my shopping after work, right? Yeah, so of course, I count on stores being open late, right? So yeah, yeah so we switched to do a lot of um, delivery, which. It's lazy. We're not super proud of it, <laughs> but right. um, but yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. So going back to your perfect Italian menu, we were talking about that, <laughs> right? We sure. got sidetracked. Um, so you were saying that you remember uh, being a nonna and uh, in being, uh, you know, in Sperlonga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what would uh, this menu have on it? Um, yeah. So. 
when I think of what she she cooks, uh, you know, for lunch, she doesn't do appetizers. Mm-hmm. So I'd say no appetizers. And then she, um, I love the way she does her pastel pomodoro with fresh basil. Okay. Um, it's, um, so as I mentioned, my family in Speralonga, they're farmers. My grandparents were farmers. My uncle's a farmer. So they grow their own yeah. fresh produce mm-hmm. still. And she makes this amazing pastel pomodoro with cherry tomatoes that she puts herself Mm -hmm. and to me that's just the epitome of you know simple italian cooking you know it doesn't have to be complicated but it's one of the most delicious things i've ever had um and then she does you know something as a main dish like she'll do like some fried chicken cutlets Mm -hmm. or polo al forno so oven roasted chicken and then some patate al forno, so oven roasted potatoes with rosemary mm, and some olive oil. Yes, yeah, so good. And then as a contorno, like a side dish, some rapini or some salad. And of course, some fresh mozzarella di bufala, which my mouth waters every time <laughs> I think of it because we go right to the... Um, the factory where oh. they make it and buy them. So they're the most fresh and they have the most amazing flavor. And it's one of the Italian foods that I really miss um, yeah. when I'm not in Italy. Yeah, that's the the best region as well, between Rome and Naples in general, Yes, where you can get the best buffalo mozzarella, remember? Yes. It's so good. And I tr- when I was living in Milan, I tried yeah. to buy mozzarella di bufala. Mm-hmm. And even though they said it was amazing fresh, it just it just no. didn't compare because they probably yeah. had to. I don't know if it was made there or they had to transport it from the south, but it's just not the same. It's not the same. It has no. to be fresh. I have a friend from yes. Naples and he was telling me, you know, it needs to be made the morning off and you eat it for yes. lunch. Uh, exactly. So it cannot possibly be the same in uh, in Milan because exactly. it would have to be yeah. made in Milan and wouldn't be the same. So Agreed. yeah, so and obviously no hope to get anything remotely close to that in uh, in North America. I don't think. No, I, I never. No. I never had one there. No, I mean they sell it here, but it's very expensive, and yeah. they have to transport it, like you said. So it's never going to be the same. Yeah. So yes, buffalo mozzarella. And question, buffalo mozzarella, would you have it at the end of the meal? You said, you know, you had also some meat. Uh, is it something like a side or? So it's served on the table with the meat and the salads and the oh, side dishes and the fish. But I find most people, uh, most of my family does this. They'll take it at the end once they're done eating like the meat and the side dishes. Interesting. Like a cleanser. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So again, from the north, I have no idea how to properly eat buffer mozzarella. So to me, it's uh, it's more of an alternative to meat. I don't eat meat, by the way. So for me, cheese is the main protein. So okay. for me, um, mozzarella, whether it's buffalo or uh, cow milk, it's um, it's more of an alternative second course. Of course, it's okay. a light one. Uh, you don't yeah. don't just eat that. You probably have something else as well. But right. it's uh, either uh, just uh, plain or maybe dressed with some olive oil, a pinch of salt and pepper uh, or right. with tomatoes to make a, like a caprese salad. Right. So for me, that's the the intended use of mozzarella. That's Fantastic. True. See, I'm learning a lot today. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Fantastic. And what about dessert? 
So my nonna's not a big baker. Like, I don't think she's ever made a dessert. Okay, so well. it would be something that my, um, probably my aunt uh, would make. Mm-hmm. So she does like a nice coconut cake that has Nutella between the layers. Mm. Or um, my mom's other sister um, makes like a nice bricholata. So something like that to end the meal off um, is nice. Interesting. Can you describe this bricciolata? I think I know it, but let's describe it to see if it's true. Okay, sure. So it's like, I'd like to describe it probably as like an Italian crumb cake. So it Mm -hmm. has like cookie crumbs kind of like as a crust. And then you can top those cookie crumbs with whatever you want. So like some okay. people top it with Nutella. I've seen like an apple one. A ricotta version is really nice. And then you top that layer with more of the cookie crumbs and then you bake it. I see. And then so that's why I guess it's called as bricciolata because it has all of those yeah. um, crumbs on top that... Yes. That's, yeah, it's delicious. Actually, it's not what I thought it was. So yeah, thank you again. Okay. I'm learning again. <laughs> Very well. Uh, so, uh, Pina, we're almost out of time for this episode. Uh, thanks so much. Lots of beautiful information. Uh, I just wanted to end by asking you uh, what's coming up on your blog. And of course, this podcast will come out probably right after Christmas. So uh, I have seen that you have some uh, Italian Christmas desserts. So do you want to talk about these posts that are coming up or have already come up? Sure. So... Yeah, for um, Christmas on my blog, I was focusing on um, Italian Christmas desserts. So Mm -hmm. um, I grew up eating uh, struffoli for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like little deep fried balls of dough, which are then coated in warm honey Mm -hmm. and then topped sprinkles. So I have a struffoli recipe on the blog. Um, also when I, I've spent a few Christmases in Italy. So when I was in Italy, I think it was 2007, a lot of my friends, like the young people were making a, I'll call it like a Pandoro Christmas tree cake. Mm -hmm. It's where you take like, I don't know if you've ever seen this Paolo, but it's where you take a, um, a Pandoro already made that you've bought at the store Mm -hmm. and then you slice it up horizontally so it makes these layers and then you fill the layers with you know whatever you want but my friends would do nutella and whipped cream oh nice and then pop it and then you kind of rotate the layers of the pandoro so it looks like a christmas tree nice i see what you mean yeah i've seen it never had anything like that in my family would just get it out of the box and eat it but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it will be like a panettone farcito or uh, with yeah, layers. Exactly. Yes, yes. So it's delicious. It's one of my favorite things that I make nice. and um, for Christmas. And and it's funny because my mother in law um, requests that I make it all the time at Christmas. So we have it every year on Christmas Day for dessert. Nice. Yes. So yes. It's become kind of like a, a tradition. Um, yeah. And then I have a, um, this is like a classic example of kind of how I've blended the two, you know, West coast culture and that Italian culture. I have a panettone French toast. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. I can see that. (laughs) That's a great blend. Yes. (laughs) So, um, you know, I have a, um, I made a tiramisu once with pandoro, which is very, I should make it again. (laughs) That's a great idea. 
to make yes, it more, it is. more festive. And it's a great way to, you know how you always have leftover panettone or pandoro, you know, after Christmas. It's a great way to it's a great way to use it up. I'll eat it for breakfast, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's something I do. But uh, yeah, definitely you can make it into um, a tiramisu uh, where instead of the ladyfingers or the savoyardi, yeah. you use um, pandoro, which is very much uh, some kind of a sponge cake. So exactly. yes, uh, you can totally do that. I never had anything like that. I suppose it turns out even more delicious than uh, with ladyfingers, uh, richer uh-huh. and yeah, it, I mean, I'm both versions are good. Yeah. Both both are delicious. I I won't say no to that sort of too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. other than that, it's made exactly like a tiramisu. You use some mascarpone cream and yes. uh, the yeah, coffee. mascarpone, some um, whipping cream. Uh, I think I put egg yolks in there. I do kind of the controversial way a lot of people don't like using raw eggs in their desserts but i do it's not controversial to me uh that's how i do it i know that's how i do it too but i've heard so many people oh no i'm not using raw eggs so now there's so many tiramisu recipes where you cook the eggs yes Mm -hmm. so but i don't do that i'm like no i'm just gonna do it (laughs) the way i know how well frankly you need to trust your eggs because there's a risk of salmonella there's uh, a small risk but it's there so if you trust your eggs uh it's traditional to do it this way uh and then i see um you have something that i didn't know what are linter cookies Oh, yeah. So those, I will say, are not Italian. Mm, They're just um, basically like shortbread cookies Mm -hmm. that you make like a cutout uh, with a cookie cutter on them. And then you fill them with jam. So it's kind of like a jam sandwich cookie. Um, But I did use my favorite Italian jam Mm -hmm. to fill them. So that's the Italian aspect of 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 those there. Yeah. So, but they are very delicious. I love any sort of dessert with jam in it. Like, I love a, a good traditional crostata with jam, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, jam is for cooking is a great ingredient as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also like it in, uh, in my croissant, personally. Um, oh, yes. yeah, so good. So good. It's so good. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, Pina, we're out of time for this episode. We'd love to talk some more. Maybe we'll uh, connect again in uh, in the new year. Um, okay, yeah, that would be great. I would love that. Fantastic. Maybe you can give me an update on what's coming up on the blog and uh, etc. And talk some more about Vancouver. There's so much that I want to, to remember right now. I'm starting oh. to get a bit homesick. Um, and again, it was a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for all the tips and all the information about Italian food that even I didn't know. And uh, I will touch base with you soon. Thank you, Paolo. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Pina. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.